Hi, this is Howard Jacobson. I'm joined via Skype today with Rabbi Deborah Orenstein. Hello, Deborah, Debbie. Hi, Howie. How are you? Good. So um, we wanted to do this call for a really long time. Since you, you, you sent me um, a CD of some of your uh, sermons, and one of them that really stood out for me was about gratitude. So we'll, we'll get into that in a second. First, I'll give people a, uh, a little background. So uh, you're the, uh, the rabbi at uh, Congregation B'nai Israel in Emerson, New Jersey. You're a scholar in residence all over. And you published a bunch of books, written a bunch of books that have been published by Jewish Lights. And you are the sister of my best friend, Rafi, and we've known each other for years and years and years. Pretty much forever. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, let's, let's get into it. So, um, gratitude. Um, I guess, you know, every, everybody sort of, People talk about it, and uh, it's generally acknowledged to be a good thing. Um, let's maybe start with a definition. So what, how, how do you um, operationally define the idea of gratitude, of being grateful? You know, it's so interesting, Howie. Uh, I, I've taught a lot about gratitude. I have this uh, double CD, and I've written about it, and it's been a preoccupation, you might say an obsession for years and years, and I almost never define it uh, when I speak publicly about it or even to myself. And the reason is it's so instinctive for people. People know what it is to be grateful. Uh, that sense of the welling up of good feeling that happens when you appreciate what is. And everybody knows it doesn't really depend on the external circumstances because that feeling and that mindset happen sometimes tremendously in terrible situations. In a hospice, there's so much gratitude for every little bit of kindness, for all the goodbyes, for all the chances to tell each other how much you love each other. It's not about what's going on on the outside. It's about bringing your mindset and your mindfulness to whatever is happening. Okay, so um, actually it hasn't been all that apparent to me, you know, obvious to me over the years that gratitude is something independent of my circumstances. I remember a, you know, a pretty dark time in my life and I was just making everyone around me miserable. And my wife, Mia, at one point, you know, in desperation said, you know, is there anything that you can sort of focus on to be grateful about? And at that moment, you know, the last thing I wanted to feel was gratitude. Like I was, well, I was totally uh, no. resisting it. No, gratitude is tricky that way because when you're in it, it seems so obvious that this is the way to be and this is the way to relate to the world. But when you're out of it, you are out of it. And paying lip service doesn't really cut it. We've all been to the Thanksgiving dinner where you go around the table and everybody says what they're grateful for in the most mechanical, uninvested way. (laughs) And it doesn't doesn't mean anything. Uh, There's a big confusion. People think that happy people are grateful. If you have something to be happy about, of course you're grateful. I just won the lottery. Yippee, I'm happy, I'm grateful. But it's actually more the other way around. Grateful people are happy. That's the bigger predictor. Because you can, you, if you're led by your circumstances, any little thing can veer you off of uh, your happiness trajectory. But if you have a sense of appreciation and gratitude and you really 
receive the blessings that are coming at you, then you're happy. And it is true that when you talk to a depressed person and you say, listen, what, what's really good for you is make a list of the five things you're grateful for. It feels like a punishment to them. <laughs> but if you can overcome that initial resistance and start to really connect with what is it that's already here for me and why should I put up a wall between me and that? Why don't I let in those blessings? Uh, then it, it becomes a gift instead of an assignment. Okay, so so I'm I'm hearing you that you know that it's it's instinctual this welling up of of good feeling, um, and but so there's there's an attitude behind it. So I mean, if you know, if ever if it was if it was that instinctual and everyone could just do it, you wouldn't have been writing about it and putting out CDs. Well, that's true. It's in, well, I would say this. It's. Um, Everybody has experienced it instinctually at one time or another, where it just came up for you. And sometimes it's at the big life cycle moments, you know, at your wedding uh, or when the birth of your child or, or things like that. Uh, but sometimes it's, it's the smallest little gestures that will coming at you from another person or just the perfect words spoken in the perfect moment that make you really appreciative. Uh, and, and sometimes you just feel lucky or blessed uh, by nature, the weather, uh, whatever's going on. We've all had that experience. The question is, how do you cultivate it? How do you deliberately live in that place? Uh, and, and I think there's, there's a lot of resistance to that, um, out of a misplaced sense of productivity. You know, that people get a sense, and I know you have a, a lot of listeners who are entrepreneurs and who are, uh, interested in marketing. There's always the next Thing to take care of. There's always something that isn't quite right, a deficit that needs to be corrected, a gap that needs to be bridged, and all our attention goes to what isn't working and what isn't right. And in a certain sense, that served us well. I mean, we're the descendants of the cavemen who noticed what wasn't right in their environment. The rest of them got eaten. Sure. You know, it's, it's, good to, it's good to notice suspicious lumps and suspicious strangers and problems so that you can walk in and correct them. But we've come so far to that extreme where all we notice is what's wrong that it, it takes away our joy and it actually takes away our creativity and it takes away our purpose. Are you there to solve problems? Is that what you're in business for? Is that the purpose of your business? I eliminate the terrible? <laughs> That's not what you're there for. So when you get into this, when you deliberately cultivate a a mindset toward gratitude, and you start to just, in a present moment, think about what's here for me right now. What are my resources? What can I give thanks to and about? Then it puts you in this much more positive mindset where you can really start to think in a visionary way about your purpose, and you can operate out of the positive. Hmm. So, the, in fact, that hadn't, I'd sort of made a little list in my head of the, what I think of as the blocking attitudes. As assumptions that may, that we live with that kind of block gratitude, and that actually didn't even make it onto my list. But it's as you, you say it; it's so obvious that a, a focus on what's wrong is going to lead you to constantly contemplate what's wrong, which probably won't make you very grateful. So, how do you? Is is there a? Is it just sort of looking at what's right? Um, you know, shifting your attention from what's wrong to what's right, or is there a way of looking at what's wrong in which you can be grateful as well? 
oh, there's no doubt that you can be grateful uh, for what's wrong. Uh, that look in the Jewish tradition, we even have a blessing for bad news. There, there's, <laughs> there's, there's no question that you can bring a grateful attitude to what's wrong, and that, in fact, is often the key to helping heal it. If, if, if I have this resistance, oh no, there's a problem. You know, it's disaster. It's the end of the world, and, and I put up all this resistance. That just gets between me and the solution. But if I say, oh, I'm so grateful that this awareness was brought to me that there's a problem, now I can address it. Now there's a possibility to heal it. I I can't heal what I don't know is broken. And so that, just that mindset, and we've all been in the position of if you have to deliver a criticism to someone, bad news, a correction, um, and, and the person reacts defensively, angrily, upset of course that's an unpleasant experience but there's also that experience a little bit rarer probably when you bring something to someone's attention that they did wrong that you're seeking an apology for that they need to correct and they say oh i'm so glad you brought this to my attention now what happens in you what happens in them what happens to that relationship whether it's personal or whether it's business at that moment it's halfway solved. Mm. Yeah, I was I was in a uh, um, a, a raw foods restaurant in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago, and they had a little, you know, typed out piece of paper saying, you know, they're they're a new store, one or two years old, and please, we you know we love to hear your praise, but please, please, please tell us what's wrong because most people just walk out without saying that and then there's nothing we can do about it and you know it was just it was just written in it wasn't written in a corporate way like they mm-hmm. they, they didn't get it from some book on customer service you know right. you, you could tell it actually it actually came from that place and i'm just you know, i'm just imagining what it would be like in my life if the businesses that i was pissed off at had that honest attitude of oh thank goodness for this information this can this can help me move forward this can help us grow this can help us be more successful and i I think back to that comment that that mia made to you uh just that was such a beautiful intervention i mean it was a form of a correction obviously she was saying to you you know howie you're being a bit of a pain that was the subtext but but the but the way she came at you was so loving and so helpful and so full of possibility. You know, she came to you with a grateful attitude saying, is there something here that you can be grateful for? Yeah. I That's why s- she's a good wife. You, you married well. I can see that now. <laughs> that, that wouldn't Not have been always my, so easy in the moment. That wouldn't have been my interpretation in the moment. Um, so okay, so when I see something that's not working, I can immediately, honestly shift into gratitude for the awareness, because it probably wasn't working before I was aware that it wasn't working, and then it was just sort of controlling me or or undermining me, and I was helpless to do anything about it. But now you see a deeper truth, and and uh, you have just a maybe it's not even an issue of deep truth. Maybe it's just an issue of you have. Uh, overcome a blind spot, um, and and you're ready. You're ready to see it, and now, once having seen it, you have the opportunity to do something about it. 
Mm. I I love that gentle shift because it doesn't it doesn't make the problem any less real. It does. It's not some sort of um, you know new age law of attraction thing where where I have to focus on the positive because any negative thoughts are are dragging me there. But it's this this it feels more honest. Well, I, I do think it's important, and, and the truth is, sometimes people regard gratitude as something saccharine, but the truth is gratitude is honest. If you look at what we have, you know, the, the, we're, the time period and the, the geography that we were born into, we won the lottery here. Uh, in terms of access to health care, longevity, opportunity, freedom, uh, we, we really do, that's the truth, have a lot to be grateful for. And what's available to us routinely, we become blind to, and, we're, and we tend to focus on, well, yeah, 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 I have those things. But what's next? What's missing? I prayed for years for a spouse, a child. Are those things less precious to me now because I have them? <laughs> It's craziness. We, we're really being dishonest when we're not grateful. And when you come into this place, which there are many, many simple exercises, we could talk about ways to get there, how to sort of trick yourself into the mindset. But once you get there, um, it, it really feeds on itself in a positive way where you start to realize, wow, everything, everything can be, a, 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 throughout your day, can be a source of gratitude. Mm. So it's, a, it's almost like we can, it's easy to get addicted to chocolate or liquor or cigarettes because of the instant hit of pleasure they send us, but it seems like it's equally e- easy to get addicted to this uh, attitude of gratitude in the, when, when we're in it, just everything feels so much better. Yes, uh, there's no question. That people, uh, there, there's a great book I, I love to send people to, uh, by, uh, Robert Eamons, who says, uh, who wrote a book called Thanks, The New Science of Gratitude hmm. Can Make You Happier. And, uh, it, it's just a very simple book, but what I like about it is that he's a social scientist. So he's not, you know, it's not like he's some spiritual leader, <laughs> or, or some, uh, you know, uh, kind of a groovy new age uh, hippie who's talking peace loving granola he he's a social scientist admittedly from california but nevertheless who writes about uh really the the nuts and bolts of how this attitude just taking on this attitude has been shown to not only increase a, a positive feeling but to increase measurable results people who are more grateful and people who engage in gratitude exercises to get there are more productive, meet their goals more, are at a better weight uh, and lose weight and keep to their exercise program more. They feel better. They feel more loved. They engage with other people more and have wider social circles. It's it's something measurable and achievable. Hmm. So as I, as I'm thinking about you know the, the the thing that you mentioned as a blocking uh, attitude is this you know what's the next thing what's not working this this drive for productivity as defined by you know finding and killing problems um, is there there seems to me like there's something 
deeper that's uh, that's behind that. And I don't know if it's, for, it's, it's you can say for some people it might be a sense of entitlement that you know that, that gratitude feels very unconditional, um, mm-hmm. and that we we tend to be very conditional beings. Like you know, I'll pray, but you better answer my prayers, or I'll go. You know, I'll I'll form a relationship with you, but you'd better give me what I want. Um, do you think that that's underpinning a lot of the the sort of gratitude deficit that we we feel? I I think it's definitely there. You know, I, I said at the start, I don't usually define gratitude, but what I do ask people to do, and what I've done myself is to think about what's the opposite of gratitude for you. And for different people, it's different. Uh, for some people, that sense of entitlement is huge. It's a big block to gratitude. And w- one of the issues around entitlement is part of the way we measure our happiness is by comparison. Uh, that's, that's also social science, uh, that when people look around and see what others have, that cues them to whether they should be happy with what they have. And when you live in a world where it's lifestyles of the rich and famous everywhere all around you being broadcast, and when you live in a world where people, you know, everybody's having more money and more sex and and, uh, more productivity and more business than you are because of all the hype, uh, it tends to create both a sense of of deprivation and entitlement. Hey, if they have it, I should be able to have it, and why don't I have it? And all those things can block gratitude. But it's not universal. That's what I want to say, is that for some people it's the entitlement issue. For some people it's simply the habit of complaining, that we just get very used to using complaining as a kind of a social lubricant. It's the way I bond with people. I complain, and they get into that mindset. Oh, I mean, when I complain to people, they get happier. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> temporarily uh, but again that's the comparison piece yeah they get happier around me if I tell them oh I'm doing great there's there's very few people in my life who really want to hear that well you know there, of course there are ways and ways to say that you, uh, you know the, the, we've all known the sort of uh, braggart you know one-upsmanship of I'm doing great you know where it's all about the comparison again mm-hmm. um, I think the key is to get away from that sense of comparison and and to just get to a place of authenticity and sharing what's going on with you. And some of it's great and some of it's not so great. But what's the attitude that you bring with that? You know, there are people who can complain about anything. I, I mean, you could give them the most positive circumstance, and they would still find a way to complain about it. And for them, it's it's there's some humor in that, perhaps, but there's a lot of habit in it, and it can become very toxic. And I found when I, I went on a 21 complaint, uh, free fast where I, I made a resolution that for 21 days I would not complain about anything. This was inspired by the Reverend Will Bowen who gave that assignment to his parishioners. And a few years ago I checked his website and, uh, he has a website called acomplaintfreeworld.com. And, uh, and there were six million people at that time signed up of whom 251 had succeeded in not complaining for 21 days. <laughs> so it gives you a sense of how addicted we are to complaint and how much we use it. And when I went on my complaint-free fast, I had to start the clock over many, many times. But one of the things that I realized that for me, one of the big opposites to complaining 
uh, uh, one of the, and one of the cures for it uh, was simply waiting. If I just waited a bit, if I had the patience to let things play out and not feel that I had to correct the world and everybody in it, um, it's amazing how many of my complaints that I rose up internally just took care of themselves. And I didn't have to do anything about it or make a stink about it. I just had to be patient and breathe. And people corrected themselves or the world took a different turn. And I got to just get out of the habit of feeling like I had to catch it and fix it. And I, I could just uh, live a little more and a little better in gratitude. Hmm. So what's coming up for me right now is the, uh, the experience I had this morning of trying to upgrade my cable service in my office. Oh, there's a cha- challenge. <laughs> so I'm not complaining. I want you to understand. I'm, I'm, there's a, uh, there's a wonderful, um, Facebook meme that's going around that I saw. I don't know if you see the, uh, if you watch the British, uh, modern version of Sherlock. No, I haven't. Uh, it's very, very funny. And the, the guy who plays Sherlock is probably borderline Asperger's. Just, you know, wonderfully rude to everyone. And the, the, the meme has him saying, I'm not criticizing you, I'm describing you. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm not criticizing. I'm simply describing that they were an hour and 40 minutes late. So they arrived precisely when I had to leave to take my son to his guitar lesson. And uh, this was weeks to get this appointment, to get them to do the thing that I had been asking them to do. And it's complicated because it's a clubhouse in in a residential area. But basically... Without me, the guy showed up and did completely the wrong thing. And so now I have to call, and I was actually on the phone with them for five minutes prior to our call when I felt like I had to hang up to pull myself together. So here's this situation where I'm feeling um, tremendously frustrated, Like, the, and there's a lot of the word should going through my head, like they should know better, they should have better um, – filing systems and, and communication systems and they should have more authority at the low li- at the line to to correct things and and I can hear like I'm I'm using probably most of the right words but I can hear in my tone that I'm just really pissed off and frustrated and so the, you know so every every fiber of my be- being was complaining whether or not I used complaining words mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. where do I go from there well, there's there's a couple things I want to say about that. I, I think customer service for some people is the the ultimate trap. It's very very hard. Um, we all know that uh, the person you're getting on the phone is not the person who screwed up, and yet we tend to get on the phone and just sort of bring all that accusatory energy to that person. So when you think about it, just as a tactical matter. Um, Expressing appreciation for their help in figuring this out or coming with an attitude, uh, the next person on the line may be my savior to help me turn all this around, is going to be a lot more productive than coming on with a chip on your shoulder. It's very hard not to, I acknowledge. I'm going to give you a couple little strategies that I think are, are great. One is I mentioned the Reverend Will Bowen, and he said that even he had to have a way to complain, you know, for for just such occasions when he felt like he didn't want to devolve into it, but he didn't want to be 
fake. So he and his wife developed a code word that they used with each other. Whenever they were totally frustrated with somebody in a circumstance like this, they would turn to each other and say, that cable company sure can whistle. <laughs> and that, that was their expression. And I think it's a great, because it has humor in it, and it makes you laugh. Um, and the other piece that um, I think is important that's implied in him turning to his wife is you need to have a complaining partner. Everybody occasionally needs a person to whom they can safely vent. And uh, it has to be somebody, though, who's committed to having you live a happy and a grateful life. So they don't sort of get in it with you in a poor me, poor you, uh, mm. ain't it awful club. Oh, God, uh, I, I, I so resent it when, when people will not collude with me. <laughs> See, but now I have a rule with my husband. When I need to complain, um, he, I try to be as brief as I can. I vent in whatever way I can, you know, as briefly as I can. I let him know, as you said, I'm just describing, you know, and I describe sometimes with that tone that I can't get out of my voice like you couldn't today. And then he, he doesn't have to respond at all. He can just listen and nod. But if he says anything in response, he has to begin with two words. And the two words are, poor you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and we, we disagree. And it, it's ridiculous. Nobody needs that, but it makes me happy. And then we, we move on, and we solve the problem, or we talk about it. And when I can collude with him and in a positive way and have my complaint partner, where we have a complaining covenant together of why we're doing it and how we're doing it, and that the goal is to overcome that mindset, then... Then I can call customer service, you know, and, you know, obviously if you have the talk with me or with Mia, um, it's easier sometimes than just having the talk with yourself, to have a covenantal complaining partner. Um, the last thing I want to say about it is a, a great tip that I got uh, from Rabbi Zelig Pliskin through reading his books. Um, he has a tendency to say, you know, think of the things that you personally get caught by. Uh, waiting in line drives you crazy. Bad customer service drives you crazy. Bad drivers and traffic drive you crazy. And power outages for some people, we've had a lot of those lately, frustrate you. So think about what those are and come up with a specific tagline that you are going to associate with those events. So, for example, I, like you, had an issue with customer service that I it would get me very frustrated if, if I was receiving poor customer service. So what I decide, my tagline is, uh, isn't it wonderful, an opportunity to practice love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> so before I make that phone call, that's what I say to myself, and I get on the phone in a different mindset. Uh, my favorite one of his that I love, he says, what do you say when you drop something or when something breaks uh, when you drop something? He says, fabulous, gravity is still working for us. <laughs> So it's just it's a, the little sort of tricks that we play on ourselves. We've got a thousand tricks that we unknowingly do to put ourselves in a bad mood. Uh, things, self-talk that we engage in, of entitlement, like you were saying before, or other, other ways that we just egg ourselves on in a negative way. So here we just deliberately create what's our purpose here. And just in the most pragmatic way, thinking nothing about your soul or your spirit, just about getting your cable turned back on in the right way, you know, who's going to get more results in talking to customer service? The person who comes on screaming and angry and blustering and abusive 
or the person who comes on reasonable and calm with specific goals of what they want to achieve and happy and grateful for whatever positive results they're getting on the other end of the line. Hmm. Damn. <laughs> Redo. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes it makes a lot of sense. Um, one one other little voice inside me is protesting, um, and that's that's the voice that um, is tired of positivity. Um, so that there's you know there's so much out there in maybe you know spiritual or new age uh, circles that's that's basically saying. You know, focus on the positive, look for the positive, and it feels like to me there's, there's, uh, I strongly believe in the concept of the shadow, this part of ourselves that unless we bring it to consciousness, um, is, you know, it's all the dark, dirty, down stuff that is actually sort of running the show because we're not aware of it. Um, mm-hmm. how can we, um, first of all, you know, I'd love to hear whether you agree or think that's a, you know, an erroneous uh, concept. And that if, you know, if you think there's merit to it, how do we balance the need to express what's really going on so that it can move and this injunction to kind of, you know, look on the bright side? Mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I say look on the bright side. I think of Monty Python, you know. <laughs> look on the bright side of life. Um, people certainly trivialize uh, evil and shadow, and they want to just blow past it and ignore it. And and it's there, and we have to acknowledge it, no question. And I think you're right, that if we don't acknowledge it and wrestle with it and deal with it in ourselves, it can take over because uh, we're just uh, pushing it out of awareness. Uh, but I think that gratitude and focusing on gratitude is not denying that there is a lot of lousy stuff in us and around us that needs dealing with. Um, the Hebrew term, or one of the Hebrew terms for gratitude is hakarat hatov, acknowledgement of the good. And I, I think that's key. Uh, what you're saying is, look, I need to acknowledge the bad also. And no argument there. We need to acknowledge it. But I think that um, the truth is people are not running around acknowledging their shadow side and uh, the, the deaths in, in, in uh, Congo and thinking about the suffering of people with uh, desperate illnesses. That's not what they're complaining about. If when you think about the, the expressions of ingratitude that happen, it's not, you know, I, I can't be grateful as long as uh, children are starving. Uh, it, it's not about that. It's I can't be grateful because uh, my my cable was put in wrong, right, to take your example today. Or I can't be grateful because of stuff that really, in the end, it is not where you want to be invested. So uh, well, I, I'm all for acknowledging the bad when it's, significant and important and even when it's uh you know just something that's getting in your way that needs dealing with like like the wrong cable but acknowledging the good shouldn't be sacrificed to that and uh, people have no problem at all as you see in daily life acknowledging everything that's wrong about a meeting a business a 
dinner, whatever, a politician. Uh, but acknowledging the good actually, for a lot of people, takes more energy. And and I think it's good to start with what's most important. If you think about, let's say, somebody who's really been a value to you in your life, somebody who's given you great gifts that maybe you've even thanked before, but feel like you couldn't do enough to thank them or you couldn't thank them properly, or maybe it's somebody you actually never went back and thanked, like a third grade teacher who steered you on the right path and you often think of them but you never look them up. Uh, taking the time to sit and write a letter uh, and then to find them and ideally sit face to face with them and read them that letter uh, is an acknowledgement of the good that will mean so much to you and to them. It's actually one of the exercises that the social scientists talk about. Simply writing a gratitude letter and don't tell the person what it's for. Just say, I'd like to meet with you. I'd like to sit with you. And you sit with them, or if you have to, you do it by Skype or over the phone or whatever, and you read it to them. And they've measured people's happiness following this, uh, both the giver and the receiver of this letter. They stopped measuring after six months because the lasting effects kept going and going and going. Uh, it's something that it, it really helps direct your life where you start to notice this is my North Star. I want to point toward the things that they did, the things that I did in response to that, the way it affected me. I want to do for others what they did for me. It becomes something so real and not in the um, you're only allowed to think a positive thought kind of way but something that touches you deep down that really shifts you into being positive. Mm, that is amazing. I'm really I'm I'm picturing doing it and I'm remembering, you know, my my old students from you know 20 20 plus years ago, some of whom very few of whom, maybe like two or three of whom have reached out over the years to let me know that and how big that has been in my life. To uh, to receive that, um, so I I have a, a you know a response to that to to the to your response to acknowledging the bad, and then there's two other brief issues I'd love to to have your take on. Um, sure. So what what occurred to me was that the so what something came up for me with the cable company. It was a frustration. It was an anger, and really, it's not about the cable company at all. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Really, it's it's something in me, and so what 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 came to me was well, I can be grateful for having that up, <laughs> right? For, so that so that I can explore it. So you know, so I remember uh, probably two and a half, three years ago, um, I was in a situation where um, I was it was in South Africa. The family had gone out to somewhere with with cousins, and I was on this beautiful farm. In, outside of Cape Town, mountains, vineyards, orchards, and I went for a long run. Like, okay, if if there's a time for me to be easily grateful, that's it. <laughs> Came back to the house, and they weren't back. They were supposed to be back by noon, and they weren't. And I started getting pissed right away. Like, they they lied to me, and I, and I had a phone, but I couldn't make outgoing calls because I didn't have enough money on it. And so I had to wait for them to call me. And they weren't calling, and I couldn't go inside, and I was stuck outside in the most gorgeous spot on earth. (laughs) 
but but never and and I was and I, and finally what what I did was get curious like who is so upset and I found like this this seven eight year old boy who had, was was terrified of abandonment and just being with that and sitting with that and luckily it took him another 20 minutes to come home so I could be a seven or eight year old boy fully <laughs> like you know temper temper tantrums crying and really working it out by the time they came home I, I felt so good <laughs> like I had like that had been an opportunity for me to go deeply into some wound and and surface it and begin to pour some antiseptic on it uh, that is that is really profound Howie. and and I think it's another opposite of of gratitude of, of ingratitude rather and complaining is curiosity curiosity about yourself what's triggering me what is this and also curiosity about them you know in in cases where people have done something wrong I wonder what it is that's going on with them I remember one time in my life where I, I was a scholar in residence for an extended period in a community, and there was somebody who was assigned to me to um, help me and schedule my meetings, and I was speaking in many, many different places over a period of six or eight weeks, and uh, she was terrible, not just incompetent terrible, she was deliberately mean to me. She would schedule me in the worst possible way. I asked her for each speech... Uh, you know, where am I supposed to be? Who's going to be there in terms of demographics and expected numbers? And what are they expecting? Some people are expecting an uh, informal conversation. Some people are expecting a 45-minute lecture. So I can be prepared. And she refused to get me that information and would, would only get it to me maybe a very short time before each speech. It was She put me in a hotel that was a 45-minute drive away from most of my speeches. It was... She was just like, it was like she was designing it to be awful. And um, and something in me, you know, some perception said to me, just keep being kind. Just keep being kind. And keep asking nicely, keep asking for what you want, but just keep being kind. And 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 I would get on the phone and cry, you know, with my family. <laughs> Say, what is she doing to me? But something in me just said, keep going, keep going. And I had that curiosity if something is clearly up with her because she was so competent at making me miserable. <laughs> there, there was it, there was there was a method to her madness, and I just said something's. I got very curious. Why would a person do this? And uh, about five weeks in to this seven and a half week process, she came to me and she said, "You know, I've really been awful to you." And you just kept being nice. And it just about slayed me. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to tell you what happened. She said, I knew a woman who was rabbi who terribly betrayed me. And she described the betrayal. And she said, and I just made a decision that all women rabbis were awful. And I was really taking it out on you. And you just wouldn't let me do it. (laughs) (laughs) Because you wouldn't answer me. And I finally realized what I was doing, and I woke up to it, and I'm just so grateful that you helped me see this. And it was it was this complete circle of, I, I had that, thank God, I, I had the, the spiritual hit and the curiosity 
to not lash back. And it enabled her to start to be curious. What's the matter with this woman? She's not responding. <laughs> and then it, it, it healed us both. It, it can happen. It can really happen. Hmm. Uh, so the, the, the two other things I wanted to ask you about, one of them is I'm, I'm, uh, involved in conversations that I would, I would call sort of deep green environmental issues. And I've, you know, a lot of my Facebook feed is around, you know, deep green environmental issues. And the people involved in the deep green environmental movement are very, very um, critical of the, where the world is. So, so this came up for me when you were talking about we've won the lottery, Right, we're in we're in such you know diseases are under control. We're living longer. We're healthier. You know, you know in the United States, it's amazing our our privileges. And yet, so these people are looking at the big picture and saying, the world, you know, we're this we're we're eradicating species. We've got global warming. We've got increasing poverty, desertification, toxins, and from their perspective. Um, things aren't going so, so groovy. And yet I, and I find myself when I get caught up in that movement, which I, you know, I really applaud its goals, feeling very negative and, and judgmental and hopeless. Well, I, I want to, this is a, such an important point, Howie, and it goes back also to the, you know, we have Hakarat Hatov, the acknowledgement of the good, and we also have to have the acknowledgement of the bad. Wh- one of the things, uh, that, we were saying earlier is that a lot of happiness and gratitude is based on comparisons and what does somebody else have that I don't and what do I have that somebody else doesn't and if I have more then I'm grateful um, and, and that's a pretty uh, primitive and immature way of looking at it but it's, it's frankly where we start out and I think one of the reasons we've gotten into the environmental crisis that we're in is because everybody has air. Everybody has water. I talk about this on my CD. Uh, and therefore, they're accounted as cheap. You don't have to be grateful for that. That's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Who, needs, who needs to pay attention to that? Um, and so we're not grateful for the abundance that we have, and we abuse it. It really does still come down to gratitude. Now, there's again, how do you work for the environment? Do you work for the environment angry, bitter, chip on your shoulder? Does that do any good extra for the environment? It probably alienates people with whom you could otherwise partner. Or do you say, look at this beautiful earth that we have. Look at what we've been given. Examine the miraculousness of the ecosystem. Let's preserve it. You know, and then you, you, you gain partners and you get people a sense of gratitude around nature and, and, uh, frankly, creation from a spiritual perspective. Hmm. Cool. Cool. Well, I, I want to end with what I think is possibly the most actionable for at least for a, a large percentage of the people who are going to be listening to this who have come to me because uh, I teach them marketing. So one of the ways we get people to buy stuff is by making them feel bad. 
um, by and you can do it in all sorts of ways. You can do it by just showing them that there is a, there's another possibility. So you know, someone's walking around with a with a ball and chain around their leg. You can just say, you know, hey, there's an, you could be freer than you are now, you know, metaphorically with whatever it mm-hmm. is, and, and kind of point out. So you know, as we were saying earlier, bring them to awareness of something which they had been unaware. There's you know, but very very powerful ways of getting people to buy stuff is through through status and comparison, uh, through making them feel a lack, through making them feel bad that they haven't done anything so far. You know, anything around uh, prevention or insurance, we want to you know shame them. There's so many. Um, tools in my in my marketing toolkit that feel like they undermine gratitude so what do we do well i think you have to have uh the big picture of what is really your purpose uh you know there's no question a lot of products are out there to solve a problem um now, some products invent a problem, you know, so that they can then charge you money to solve it for them, for you. Um, but I think, you know, you have to think in terms of uh, not, of adding value and uh, and of uh, be finding the, the point of, of gratitude. Let's say, let's take a real problem. It's a billion-dollar industry. Let's say weight loss. It is a real problem for people to be morbidly obese and to eat an unhealthy diet. Nobody's making that up. Um, that's an issue. It's a health issue. It's a quality of life issue. Uh, but how do you relate to people about it? You know, do you, do you shame them and make them feel terrible and uh, give them a sense of desperation in order to sell your product? Or do you say... You have this beautiful, miraculous, functional body, and uh, I have a great way of making it stronger, more efficient, leaner, trimmer, so that it's going to serve you even better. It's it's the same product, um, but you know it, it's sort of a, a cheap and I think um, less lasting way to get people to the table if you are doing it through problems and shame. Uh, it'll, it'll motivate people, but it's not a lasting motivation uh, because eventually people will want to break out of that prison of shame and say, I, you know, I don't want to feel bad about myself in order to get better. Hmm. I'll tell you, what just came up for me amused me very much. So when, when you were saying, you know, focus on the gratitude for what you already have and how this product can make it better there was a study done some time ago about punch cards that you would get at like a frozen yogurt store (laughs) so you get you know you get 10 punches and then you get a free yogurt Mm -hmm. and they tracked the experimenters tracked two different versions of the card one was a card that had eight spaces to punch and the other was a card that had 10 spaces to punch but two were already punched to see who was going to get it filled out, get it filled up faster. In other words, who was going to buy more yogurt? And mm-hmm. they and they found that the group that had two already punched far out, out exceeded the other group in in getting their card filled. It was Makes like, all the sense in the world. 
Well, so, so you t- I, I think I could try to articulate how that relates to what you said, but I'd love to hear your take on it. Well, because it's, it's uh, first of all, it, it's, uh, it, it operates so well on so many levels. It's a way of, for, for the company that's handing out the, the, the yogurt card to say, um, we're grateful for your business. Here, let us give you a little gift. We're punching you twice. Um, instead of, here, you start with zero. You know, it, it's already a, a statement of gratitude and appreciation just in the fact that they've punched something. And then it's giving people a kind of a running head start where they feel like, um, wow, I don't have that far to go. It's, 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 um, it's a positive message of, you can do this. You're already, you know, two-tenths of the way there instead of you're zero-eighths of the way there. <laughs> um, uh, and, and in this case, it adds up to the same thing. You need eight more to get there. But just the mindset of having that uh, sense of uh, possibility uh, gives people motivation. Mm. Yeah, that's. I, I was thinking. So, it's it's focusing on the twenty percent you got more exactly. than the the eighty percent you don't that have. you don't have. And that you know that's uh, Pareto's principle applied to gratitude. Um, uh, and in, and the truth is, I think in life, it's much more true that we have the eighty percent, and what we're missing is the twenty percent. And we have a skewed vision that we're so focused on that 20% that we inflate it to be 80%. Mm. Well, and, and I do, well, blame or attribute this to to commerce. That uh, I, The other day I was trying to explain um, Martin Buber's philosophy to my children. Which, which, I, which I find very Lovely. difficult without without uh, a you know a, a syntax that involves um, you know I and that you know thou and it as as sort of natural, but this this idea that um, you know if if we're all separate and we all exist functionally to be exploited for each other's benefit, then it makes sense to to fill the world with problems that we can solve for money. Um, mm-hmm. But but if you know if the if the truth and we we haven't really you know we haven't really gotten into your your rabbi chops much in terms of like God and spirit and soul, um, but if you know if we really believe that this is a God made world, to me that there's there's you know finding it so damn. Um, Inconvenient and annoying is kind of a form of idolatry. Oh, I, I love that statement, and I, I think it's true. And you know, when I when I think of idolatry, um, I think of you know, it, it also relates to where are you putting your attention. Um, the the Deuteronomy and the Shema prayer talk about um, what is it that you say to yourself when you lie down at night and first thing, what's on your mind when you wake up in the morning? What do you do at home and away? What is it that you say and articulate the most often? What are you known for? Um, that, in essence, whatever that is, is what you worship. Hmm. That's what's on your mind and on your heart. That's what you're doing in the world. It, it, Abraham Joshua Heschel famously said when he was asked, how do you define a good person? He said, a good person is a person who is in the habit of doing good things. It, it's, 
what you do most frequently that really shapes and defines you. And and from that point of view, that's what you're putting it as your chief priority. There can only be one top priority. Um, and when you look at the measurable uh, elements of that, you know, what do you talk about the most often? What do you think about the most often? Where does your attention lie? What are you devoted to when you add up the hours in your day? Uh, most people have some work to do to bridge the gap between what they regard their true ideals as and what they're really doing. And and to the extent that you're not living out what you think is most important, I call that idolatry. Mm. That's beautiful. Um, well, that's... The, <laughs> I feel very, very full in this conversation. I'm, uh, I'm semi-dreading calling Time Warner back. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to need to. to, to <laughs> oh, to, to listen, Howie, I, I want to I, I want to bless you for that. Uh, I I know that you you're going to spend just a couple minutes meditating, talking to Mia, getting <laughs> breathing, and you're you're going to be more than fine. You're going to love bomb them over at Time Warner. Oh, I'm already I'm already fine. I just uh, there's a sheepishness to like I you know about uh, letting go of you know of just uh, admitting. It's it's uh, it's a it's a it's a beautiful thing to be undefended, but taking off the armor feels scary. Mm. So, so th- thank you so much. I just want to point out that uh, you 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 have a lot of material that you that you share and um, recordings and writings that are for sale, and folks can get it at Rabbi Deborah. That's R A B B I D E B R A. dot com. Yes, absolutely. And there's a lot of also free downloadable teachings, audio and written, and I'd love to hear from people. Uh, they can write to me through that website, too. Cool. Do they have to be Jewish? No, they do not. This is an ecumenical website for everybody. Excellent. Well, Debbie, thank you so much. I really, I really feel a lot more grateful after talking to you than I did before. And uh, so I, ho- I hope this recording will, uh, will spread We'll spread that positivity and that joy um, to uh, to many corner, darkened corners of the world, as my heart was when I got on the phone with you. So, uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Howie. I'm very, very grateful to have you in my life and for this conversation. All right. Well, thanks again, and we'll we'll talk again soon. Bye bye. Okay, bye bye.